Welcome to STEMiverse podcast episode 48. In this episode, Peter and Marcus talk with Kurt Young. Kurt is a product manager of an Australian educational technology startup company, Actura. Actura provides leading STEAM learning solutions spanning from in-class to out-of-class environments. Kurt grew up in China and settled down in Sydney after completing his commerce degree in Macquarie University. He then commenced his banking career in Commonwealth Bank of Australia, CBA, shortly after graduation while completing his Masters of Applied Finance at Macquarie University. During the eight and a half years Kurt worked in CBA, he gradually developed enormous passion for technology innovation and product management. That led him to join Casco and help implement Android Pay and Apple Pay digital wallet solutions for 30 to 40 domestic banks and credit unions across Australia. After the successful launch of these two products, Kurt moved on to an exciting new challenge, which is the development of Actura's Flip Robot. Kurt is determined to make a difference in the STEAM education industry by creating accessible and affordable educational robotic learning solutions with solid curriculum and teaching implementation support. This is STEMiverse Podcast, Episode 48. STEMiverse is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. Our mission is to help educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. Whether you are a professional or casual teacher teaching in a classroom or a parent or caretaker teaching at home, this podcast brings you the knowledge and experiences of practitioners, academics, entrepreneurs and lifelong learners who are passionate about education and strive every day to help our children prepare for life in a world of radical change and why not abundance. Marcus, welcome back. Thank you, Peter, to the studio. How are you today? I haven't. Oh, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Apart from a bad hair day that That's I was talking terrible. about earlier, I really need a haircut. Like, it's ridiculous. Uh, too busy, though. What about you? Yeah, much the same. I, I also need a haircut. <laughs> yeah, you had a busy week and a busy last week. Secret projects, yes. Yeah, secret projects plus Edutech, which mm-hmm. is kind of the big event here in Australia. Yeah, I got to see some of your fans at Edutech. Yeah. Oh, don't say that. It was crazy. Yeah. Now we met uh, a lot of really interesting people there. We had really good discussions. I, I like that. Like once a year, it's a good, it's a good place to go and get the vibe of where education is going. See so people being very excited. A lot mm-hmm. of kids. Yeah, it's uh, great fun and uh, lots of great contacts. Yeah. And who do we have with us today? So today we have got Kurt Yang. Hey, Kurt. Welcome. Hi, guys. How are you today? Very well. Um, it's Friday, so <laughs> I can't complain. It's Friday, yeah. Fridays for me actually very busy. I wonder why. Yeah. Um, podcast. Got a podcast. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are you up to these days? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> just for your listeners as well. Uh, so my name's Kurt. I'm the um, product manager for a local uh, STEAM education startup company called Actura. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been very busy uh, with coming out uh, with coming out of this um, uh, STEM education solution, Flip Robot. So that's what I've been working on lately. Yeah, yeah. That's, so you've got experience in basically uh, creating educational technology. And uh, for me, that was a 
like a big incentive of mm. asking. That's why we asked you to be with us and talk about educational technology. You've got other experiences in the past that I'd like to tap into as well. Definitely. Um, and uh, just to uh, get started then to put us uh, in context, would you like to spend a few minutes to tell us a bit about your background and uh, eventually what brought you to where you are now, so in the education space and building amazing products for educators? Definitely. Um, I think it might last slightly longer than a few minutes because both yeah, my sure. personal and, and, and also my professional journey has been quite an interesting one. So uh, yeah. if you have the time, I, I could expand it just a little bit. Absolutely, yes. We want to build your profile, so go for it. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. So um, I was actually born and raised in China and went through their whole entire K-12 system um, I guess you could say I was the typical uh, victim of the traditional knowledge teaching centric and also uh, exam results driven type of uh, education. I feel you. I feel you, Kurt. <laughs> so you know exactly you. what I'm talking about. <laughs> and where in China, Kurt? Uh, in Tianjin, uh, which is about an hour drive from Beijing. Okay. Yeah, it's a big city. And I still remember, you know, back in the uh, primary school days, I was just that little uh, chubby, joyful little kid. Everyone laughs, uh, everyone loved in my class, full of cre uh, creativity, bright ideas, um, you know, really motivated to learn as well. But uh, I think as a result of that, I actually did quite well uh, in my kind of a junior high school entrance exam. So, you, so in China, uh, you know, when you going from primary school to junior high, you have to do this national exam. And same thing when you're going to senior high as well as um, university. So I did quite well, went to one of the top junior high schools in my hometown in Tianjin. Um, but when I went there, it was a totally different notch comparing to my primary school years. And I was definitely underprepared. And it was really sort of a difficult adjustment period for me. I, I couldn't make a lot of friends. And also, unfortunately, I picked up some pretty bad stuttering habits along the way, which mm -hmm. didn't help either. Pretty much halfway through my junior high, um, you know, like I, we were basically in this really overwhelming war zone prep mode to pre um, prepare for the high school entrance exam. Mm -hmm. It was just ex exams after exams, mock exams, and I lost my motivation to learn and study along the way. So as a result of that, I actually did terribly in my high school entrance exam. So uh, luckily, my parents they they put a few, they put a, a few strains, got me into uh, one of the good high schools in my city. But even that, I think, because uh, you know, like if you think junior high is very competitive in China, whether um, until you get into high school, it was fierce and sometimes it's even ruthless. So every students are for themselves. And everyone, the own, the own goal they have is to make sure they have good marks and um, prepare well for their uni entrance exam. And um, because they felt that's their golden ticket to a like, successful career and life afterwards. Um, for me personally, I was really never in it. I think I checked out mentally at a quite early stage of my high school um, years. And that's when I slowly actually developed enormous interest into the Western culture. So through rock and roll music and movies. Um, so in fact, you know, the, that's how I got my English name, Kurt. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, Kurt from Kurt Cobain, Nirvana. Yes. <laughs> I, was a, I, was a, I was a diehard fan of Nirvana, uh, Nirvana for many, many years. Um, so, so was that you or your dad? Sarah, what? Was that you uh, influenced by 
um, Western music, or was it your father, perhaps? Oh, it's me. It's me. You, you picked your name and you called yourself Kurt as your English name. Exactly. So I had my own Chinese name, which my parents gave it to me. But I don't know if you know, I think a lot of Chinese here, especially the one came from China, um, they got English name, they all give to themselves. So in my case, I gave Kurt to myself, yeah, which is a fairly unique name and I've been, you know, using that until now. It is unusual, yeah. It is. Great. Um, So we are now at high school. It is um, like a jungle, the way you describe it. (laughs) Everybody for themselves. And you checked out, I think that's, that's something important since we're talking about education checked out it was it common like with other students at the school yeah feeling in in a similar way about education yeah it's like that it's basically go i guess you can say two tiers so there's the tier where like me you know i did well in the early years but then uh, uh, later on i checked out for various reasons but there are other students if they are, um, they 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 remain very competitive and locked in, um, they just you know be at a sort of really top level. So they could they could have gone to the really good universities, and um, mm. I just went to that that way. But either way, I think the point I'm trying to make is throughout the studies, I think none of us really know what we're doing. So you know, even if we were studying, but we were studying for the exams after exams, we pretty much forgot most of the things we actually studied. So you know. You, you don't yeah. feel like you actually study for a purpose. You just to get into the good school, good university, and um, it's yeah. To, to me, it doesn't have much meaning to it. And so back to the story I I, I was mm-hmm. saying earlier. So no surprise, I did actually pretty bad in my uni entrance exam, and that's why I told my parents of my intention to um, study abroad. You know, because of my interest in um, the foreign culture and everything. Um, but it actually turned out to be the best decision I have personally ever made because it's changed my life, uh, frankly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went to uh, Auckland in New Zealand to um, study uni there first and continue my uh, bachelor in commerce and also master's in applied finance in my core uni here. Mm-hmm. Basically, throughout my uni studies here, uh, and also in New Zealand, I participated in various volunteer projects, got involved heavily in a lot of um, social clubs activities, uh, cured my stuttering, <laughs> which really mm. I, I was very pleased about, uh, became a tutor, uh, established a Chinese Students Association for my master's um, program alumni, and also I made heaps of friends. Uh, and also back in 2000, I think it's 2011, I even went on to one of this uh, really famous Chinese dating TV show. It's called If You Were The One. Uh, really? I don't know if you guys seen It's actually showing here on SBS too. I think every Friday or Thursday night. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that, that was a... Was it successful? Uh, unfortunately, no. It was, a bit, it was a bit dramatic. I mean, I, I think when I went down to the stage, it was really good. But the way Man, I left the stage true. was a bit, uh, yeah, a bit dramatic, unfortunately. So we are at university at, uh, at the moment. Has at this point your love and interest for education and learning reversed? So at this point, did you start you know, wanting to learn again? Yeah, definitely. I'll give you an example, Peter. So when I first went to Auckland, I studied at um, AUT, Auckland University of Technology. So that was back in like early 2000s, 2002 probably. I can't remember the exact two or three. At the time, I think that's probably one of uh, one of the first unis uh, they are adopting this new methodology. Basically, for the first year, 
um, you know, there's like a core subjects, generally about eight subjects in that first year. What they have done is they combined them into four core discipline subjects. So for example, there's one subject uh, called a small business management. So we, within that, um, you basically incorporate accounting, marketing, uh, finance, and all different sort of uh, business-related disciplines into that one subject. And throughout the subject, the key sort of a project or the key string to put everything together, it's basically we form in teams and we have to actually do or create a small business. And a small, small business needs to hopefully be profitable. We're actually selling real stuff. It's almost like nowadays, you know, you can actually, do, you know, establish the startup and really just do it. And through doing it, and then you can actually, uh, you know, practice all different disciplines you can learn. That was fantastic. To me, that was eye-opener. I did that for about a year, year and a half. I really laughed down there. But um, I think my family wanted me to come to, to Sydney, to Australia, because I have relatives here. So to be honest, I actually missed yeah. Auckland quite a bit because of that. I had a lot of good memories down there. Now, what business did you make? Um, so the fourth, uh, we made this um, business. We make uh, fish curries. <laughs> uh, fish curry okay. uh, fish curry balls. Yeah, so basically you put, um, you know, those little fish curry balls onto a skew and then you dip into fish curry and you sell them in the markets, you know, on Saturdays, Sundays. So that, that's the little business we did at the time. And it was actually quite profitable. Yeah, we actually made some money. So did you go through the like the stages of setting up a business plan and then finding investors? God, I hope they didn't make the business plan. <laughs> or did you just go straight into the market and? Uh, no, 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 no. So we actually did. Uh, like obviously back then, the whole startup model is different from you know quite different from now. So we didn't have funding. But then, you know, we were just sort of from a, we, we did market research in terms of, you know, like which area and what type of food and everything it's suitable. Yeah, we actually did quite a lot of preparation work. And throughout that, that project, um, you know, we were using the things we learned in, in class to apply to the, um, to our, you know, small business management and uh, turn out to be a, a very useful learning journey. So you come to Sydney, what do you do next? So I studied, so got to Sydney, I studied Macquarie bachelor's and then I um, studied master's as well. So a lot of study. In the meantime, I did other part-time jobs and here and there, which also been very useful, um, you know, just build up my skill sets and build up my confidence. I think after I graduate, actually, while I was studying, um, I became a tutor. I think that's probably when I also had sort of this passion or had that, that sort of initial passion for education. Hmm. I'd never done any tutoring before, but when I was uh, tutored at Macquarie, apparently I did a quite good job because the feedback I was getting was phenomenal. You know, like it's people saying, wow, you're such a good teacher. You know, you, sh- you should just keep doing this. Um, so that's, I think that's, that's how I initially discovered my fun for education. What did you teach? There was two subjects I taught. One is, uh, I think it was accounting system management the other one is uh, management accounting. So there's two mm. su- two subjects. What did you enjoy about that kind of you know, teaching uh, kind of job? What aspect of it did you enjoy the most? I think to me, it's about the joys of sharing. So the ability mm. to share, um, even if I might not know a lot, but the things I know well and the things I reckon that actually would add value to my students, mm. um, the ability to share with them. And then once I share with them, they use it to apply to their studies and actually do really well in, in their studies. That's 
gave me so much joy. Yeah. It's a lot of people say that in education. I actually read a, an article, a small article a few days ago. Is one of the things that I find that all teachers really enjoy doing is that sharing. Seeing the success. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. So eventually you, you graduate, right, with your love for education restored. <laughs> yes, that is correct. <laughs> was like, that is a, a big milestone. Is that I feel a lot like you. Like I went through a very similar phase through school and university, mm. especially school. And then eventually I came out the other way, um, in a way transformed thanks to other intermediate experiences similar to yours, like the project-based learning in university and all that. So um, what, what happens once you graduated? What's the next step for you? So that's where I sort of begin my uh, professional career life. And it hasn't been a smooth sailing either. So I think straight after I graduated, very similar to many uni graduates, uh, after hundreds of uh, job application rejections, um, I was mm. finally uh, lucky enough to be offered a, a phone-based sort of a front office role at Comsec. Uh, Comsec is a sort of a you know, ship, yeah, ship ah, trading security. Arm. Yeah, security. For our international listeners, could you tell us what that is? Definitely. So Comsec is a um, both retail and also wholesale uh, share trading arm of Commerce Bank, which is uh, one of the big four banks in Australia. Right. And I was um, doing this phone-based sort of front office role, uh, helping retail uh, mom and dad customers do trades, but basically buy sell shares. It's kind of like a stockbroker, but we don't give a lot of advices. You know, we help them to execute trades. I will give them market information and help them to basically do a lot of account management re- uh, related work as well. But not long after I got on the role, uh, GFC happened as a global financial yeah. crisis. Uh, so that was an interesting period because um, just by watching, um, you know, tens or hundreds of those mom and dad investors got their life savings and yeah. investments got cut in half or even more. It was devastating. It was brutal. Yeah. And uh, I think that's from that moment, that, that's when I realized uh, finance or investments can be, the, that's the dark side of it. You know, they can be quite harsh. Um, yeah. And as a result of the GFC, there was basically no job opportunity movements within the business for probably two to two and a half years. And um, so during that period, I was basically just sort of, you know, just pay my dues and really try hard to learn all different sort of uh, um, skills and everything that I required on the job. Uh, later on, I got some opportunity to change around um, among a few different front office roles on other products like margin lending, um, you know, CFDs and a few other derivative products within Comsec. But uh, I think for me, my real sort of work interest into technology um, truly begun why I took on the institutional account management role for Comsec's white label solution. So just right. for, for your listeners, um, the white label solution, I think it's very similar to a lot of other technology companies like ClickView and a few other ones. So they all have white label solutions as well. Even YouTube would have it. So it's basically utilizing Comsec's, uh, the share trading platform and white label that into other companies like Westpac Securities or mm-hmm. some other you know financial institutions. So you know, I was basically given the opportunity to get involved in a, a, a large number of major projects, um, such as the, the platform migration, building the white label um, share trading mobile apps, and also the uh, white label uh, website major function changes and additions. So through that, I got involved in a lot of IT projects. They all sort of relate to what I do uh, as a kind of you can say, a business owner or a product owner slash mm-hmm. the product owner type, type of roles. 
that's I, I started to really learn a lot of um, uh, whether it's IT technology or finance technology related, um, you know, like this sort of uh, modules and terminologies, uh, which I really enjoyed doing as well. I guess up to this point, Kurt, what I see as, as a pattern from uh, the story that you're telling us is that of uh, a kid that basically lost his love for learning early on in school because of you know, the system and the way that he was operating and then found it a little bit later thanks to a few perhaps uh, choices, good choices that you made, like leaving home, for example, and traveling overseas. And then in your early career, the restored love for learning and education served you well because you had to go through quite a few different uh, you know, opportunities that you were able to take on and exploit in a way because you were open to learning new things. Is that a fair summary? Yes, definitely, Peter. That, that's a definitely a fair summary. And, uh, and I feel that this is something that like, pretty much everybody who wants to be successful in a world that is dominated by change, like it was the GFC was a big one in your career but things like that happen in almost every industry like we hear a lot about you know adelaide losing car manufacturing jobs mm-hmm. everybody's mm-hmm. Uh, very upset about that but that's a big change yeah, yeah. yeah. so how did all, that all prepare you or perhaps led you to where you are now where are you actually building educational products. Definitely, definitely. Um, just right before we get onto the our current yeah. education role, uh, I think after I were doing that, so like I was in that role, the institutional account management role for about four years, four to five years, mm-hmm. I think. That's really sort of helped me to set the foundation for my future technology sort of orientated roles. I think the next role I found was um, basically working a company. This is actually quite a unique role as well, uh, but it was more like a contract role just for short term. So basically... Mm-hmm. The, it's a payment company that was launching Apple Pay and Android Pay for the very first time in Australia. So the company, we were basically working with Apple, working with Google, working with Visa, MasterCard and all the banks. Not the big fours, but mainly, you know, credit unions and small banks like CUA and, uh, you know, ING, those types. And we were launching about 30 or 40 of them for the very first time in Australia. They were actually doing that even prior to actually uh, ANZ was the first, but because the other yeah. big three didn't didn't yeah, do American it. American Express was the first. <laughs> yes, MX. my apologies. Uh, MX is the first, but as you know, they're not a bank, so you know. <laughs> so it really depends on how you categories. I had to go out of my way to get an MX card so I could use Apple Pay. Ah, I actually do the same as well. Yeah. Yeah, I did the same thing, but mainly for testing purpose. <laughs> it was different. <laughs> so that that was really fun. Yeah, so I did that for about six months to a year. Um, you know, really fun projects. And, uh, you know, to, to me, working with people in Apple and in Google was very interesting. Because, for example, 10 o'clock in the morning, I could have a meeting with Apple. And 12.30, I have a meeting with Google. And the, the, the style of people working in the two companies, they are almost on the two end of the spectrum if that makes sense. I can just imagine the length of the NDAs and non-disclosure yes. agreements that you had to sign. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, it is like that sometimes, you know, you just have to bear the secrets and try to, you know, like, yeah, yeah so many bubbles in your head. <laughs> and it must have been a very intense period because like 30 or 40 entities that you had to work with, plus these large organizations, plus uh, brand new technology. Yeah, exactly. Plus, I suppose, changing people's habits when it comes to paying for bills. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, quite a few things happening there. It was very hectic, yeah. But I mean, like, after we'd done it all, um, I personally felt, you know, like I actually done something for the very first time in Australia, 
Um, mm. And also mm. probably in the world, haven't got many countries done that. So I actually felt yeah. really good about it. Actually, even while I was doing that, I felt, so I, so I knew more and more clearly in terms of what I want to do. So I do want to develop new, new products, the products that actually can make a difference to the society. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how I kind of helped me to land the current role, which is the uh, a product management role uh, in this, um, you know, we, we are a STEAM education company, uh, Actura. So, um, yeah. you know, I just mm-hmm. want to give you guys, I guess, just quick introduction of the company, if that's if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So we are now at present, uh, yes. you're working at Actura, which is a startup in the education space. Something based steampunk? Based in Sydney. That so is correct. Steampunk, something. What's it, Steam? I, okay. Yeah. Kurt, take it away. You mean us, STEM, uh, right? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, like, I, when, when I first started, you know, I always use STEM. But then, you know, within the business, I think we try to be consistent. So, we try to use STEAM. Um, so, so, obviously, as, as you guys know, um, so STEAM is STEM with the A. So, A is arts. But in my mm-hmm. mind, it's more design. So to me, I love design. Uh, actually, I love the whole design thinking process and, you know, the whole um, entrepreneurial sort of design thinking process. I love everything about it. Uh, I think to to us, STEM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and um, mathematics. Um, so Actura is a, is a STEM-focused uh, company. I uh, focus on um, really helping youngsters or helping children to build their future career success by uh, helping them to master their STEAM skills. So mm-hmm. there's two sides of the, the sort of the product or service we do here. So on my end, so I look after the Flip robot, which is an in-class um, educational robotics so- solution. And we also have an out-of-class solution, uh, which is the space school, case space school mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. So basically taking uh, local kids to U.S., to USSRC or Johnson Space Center in Houston. Um, to Sorry, uh, did you say USSRC? That is correct, yes. What is that? Uh, in Huntsville. In Alabama. Uh, so it's the United States uh, RC, so a robotics competition, is it correct? Oh, no, 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 no. no. Uh, so just the acronyms, I'm not familiar with. Uh, I don't know exactly what a USSRC stands for. I think it's probably US Space Center or something. But basically, it's the Space Center based in Alabama, Huntsville. Yes, got it. The U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So that is, uh, there's a website, um, rocketcenter.com, and they are based in Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama. That's right, yes. And there's a space shuttle on its rockets. So they got one of the space shuttles. (laughs) So, yeah, tell us what's happening there. And uh, like, how do kids go there? How do they get involved with you? How do they qualify or, I don't know, end up in Alabama? So currently the way we've been doing is we've been approaching a lot of schools. So the, the, the business actually was established back in 2014. You know, they, they actually started to do the space school program. I think that side of the business has been running really successfully over the last four years. So we currently um, have a network, I would say more than 200 um, schools across Australia and also in New Zealand as well. So schools is, uh, you know, basically we run information evenings and we go there, talk to parents, talk to students, talk to the school um, teachers and principals, uh, really get them to involved and, you know, see, see their interest. And if they are, then obviously they contact directly to our staff. So we have our own support team, our um, account management team to help them to facilitate this, this overall process. So everything is done in-house. We also have operations team here locally 
Um, actually, in fact, I'm going in July. So I think 1st of July, that's our next expedition. So I'm very excited. So I'll be going, helping them, um, you know, doing a lot of operations support work and, um, you know, helping them to do a lot of um, support activities. So, so a school would need to be, uh, I suppose, a customer or to have uh, a membership? Oh, no, no, no. So spectrum? it's basically uh, the relationship with students or parents directly. So the, oh, so the way right. school get involved is, for example, um, if you are one of the school, like a Barker or a Knox. Um, so sometimes they also like, because for example, Knox could have, or Barker could have like say 50 students or 100 students going in this July. And if they do, uh, the school, obviously they want to make sure their students looked after. So they could actually send maybe one or two of their own teachers to come along the journey uh, to, to making sure everything's, you know, worked as their expectation. So we could have facilitated that as well. So a lot of times the school involved is, you know, their teachers get, you know, going on the tour and also they want to make sure everything's, you know, like all done to their mm-hmm. um, expectations. So, but for uh, for your listeners, if any parents that are interested in to attending the space school, I think the best thing to do is go onto our website, which is actura.com.au. So that's A-C-T-U-R-A dot com dot au um they've got all the information contact details on the space school side of things that's great so anybody can you don't need to be affiliated with a particular school we can do it as a, a private person and student yeah definitely, definitely. i mean i think currently we for schools we try to group them to uh, you know for example if a barker or knox or some schools they have large number of students going and we group them together uh, but for individual ones we could also do some grouping as well. So there's different right. ways we can, yeah, f- facilitate So tell us what happens once uh, a student makes a trip to Alabama and you're there now, you're at the space school. What happens once you get there? How long does it last for? What do you learn? Or what can you what experience do you take? with you in Australia? I, I probably, I'll try the best I can to tell you more about this bit, but because I work on the fleet robot side of things, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to go in July to check, check it all out. So from my understanding is, um, so it's going for two weeks, basically the beginning of July to all the way uh, mid-July. Um, that's the junior uh, space school program. And in December, there's another two weeks right before Christmas as the senior space school program. So for July, uh, during the two weeks program, so they will, I think, either the first or second, depending on which group you're in, you will be in maybe um, Houston Johnson Space Center first. And then the other week, you will be in USSRC, uh, you know, doing different activities. So some examples, like uh, I believe there was one in... Uh, was Johnson Space Center or another venue? They do like a shock dissection. That was really cool. I saw the video oh. they, they were putting on, and through the shock dissection, they try to understand the sort of micro mechanisms involved in the organs, everything. So, from a, a space perspective, a lot, a lot of times kids thinking, oh, it's more just understanding gravity and a lot of other STEM stuff. But biology is actually a big part of that kind of a space operation type of things as well. Yeah. Well, it sounds like an amazing experience. Like, do you take adults? <laughs> or do I have to be a teacher? <laughs> no, like, actually, you know what? With all seriousness, um, so for anyone that's interested in to participate uh, for adults, so we also have what we call group managers and group assistants. So people that, in your case, if you have like some sort of a science interest or science background um, or technology background that interested in participating, you could be participating as a 
um, you know, as a, as a group manager, basically you will be the uh, the person looking after fourteen or fifteen kids. If if that's something you're happy to do, <laughs> that sound like fun. <laughs> For two weeks, yes. so if you... with my kids, it feels like they're ten or twenty. It's <laughs> just too bad. <laughs> yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's that. Now you you got me thinking. Hmm. <laughs> Kurt, I'm going to get back to you on that. <laughs> How about we switch to robots now? So because why? I know that you're really... Uh, Marcus, you got to... Yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. I'm just jumping in. My brain it. is like on fire today. Yeah. I was going to ask, so why do we need another STEM robot? Oh, flip robots, there you go. That's a very good question. I, I was waiting this is called for you. Segway. You know, we can do these segues. It's great. <laughs> because we need more robotic explorers in space. Yes. How about that? That's very good. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, to, to answer your question, Marcus, you know, I think we all know in recent years there has been a lot of, I think initially there was Lego and um, Vex, right? And there was so many different brands um, came out in the last couple of years. I think everyone's trying to get onto this trend and trying to get involved. I think for us, the reason why we created this solution, we don't always call it as a product, but we call this uh, uh, the um, uh, so STEAM education solution because we felt the way we create this whole thing is very different from others. So I, I don't want to say other people is not good, we're good, but I just want to focus on our solution. So the way we create the solution is, is so we, we felt the, the things we're creating is not just the hardware and software. It has to be and almost like an ecosystem that you provide to the school, um, that school teachers and school students can pick it up and easily implement it in class with almost like hassle-free or just very easily just take and take it on board. And also that true learning outcomes and the stuff that they have to learn, I think they, they can easily get out of from your solution as well. So with that, that basically means you need to have the hardware, the software, the curriculum, the professional development support, and also probably that local um, support as well from a relationship and um, and other ongoing operation support perspective. So I think that overall kind of a ecosystem solution, if you can um, try to put them together well and offer them to schools, I think that's going to really make a difference. Where in some cases or some providers, if you have hardware and software and maybe you write some curriculum afterwards and give to schools. And also if there's not enough PD support or, um, you know, that sort of support supplied, school can only feel like, okay, it looks like a good product, but, you know, I'm not just sort of playing this at home. We're actually teaching this in class. So if you're thinking from a, a, the end user, the, the teacher's perspective, they really need to be able to implement your solution with ease. I think that's probably yeah. where it set, set us apart because, you know, like we, we with our solution, the curriculum was designed first and then the robot was kind of a created, you know, in conjunction with the curriculum and the curriculum got the uh, teaching resources the teacher can use like PowerPoints in class and also got a program design, kind of like lesson plans and also the learning, uh, what do you call this, and activities, learning sheets. So it's basically if teacher needs to, they can basically just use the material teaching class straight away without having to do a lot extra uh, curriculum design work and other work as well. Right. So if I understand right, you started this project by creating the curriculum first and then you moved on to the technology part as something that will assist the teacher to teach the curriculum, right? You didn't start with the robot in mind first. That is correct, yes. Yeah, so the curriculum side of things, uh, so this has come to another organization called a CASE. 
So CASE stands for California Association of STEM Education. It's based in Cupertino in U.S. So they are a non-for-profit mm-hmm. organization. So they initially had designed the curriculum, but on a rather high level with um, the sort of this, what do we call 30, 40, uh, 30 design, sort of a curriculum design philosophy and some of the sort of uh, from a robotic education perspective, some of the key disciplines involved. And because the way, you know, like, like obviously you have the curriculum, but you can't implement it without whether it's a robot or some other tools to implement it. So that's how we work together to really to see how we can basically fit Flip Robot into the curriculum and try to work together. And because we're a startup company, um, you know, when we're creating the product, the actual physical product, the starter kit or extensions, um, the curriculum can be sort of improved at the same time. So it's actually worked in conjunction to each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not the Australian curriculum, it's a curriculum... It's an international organization in Cupertino. That is correct. So the initial curriculum is an international curriculum, but we have also done a lot of uh, localization work here as well. So, you know, just just making sure that it comply with ACARA standards and also the different state-by-state standards as well. So, you know, like there's a lot of localization work has been done over Mm -hmm. the last year. How did you go through the process of localizing content from overseas and making it relevant to Australian teachers? Yeah, it's a very good question. So uh, within our business, uh, we actually have people that who were teacher before as well. So uh, you know they so they taught before, so they understand how to do the curriculum mapping. Um, you know the what type of activities that's required. So we actually have people done that initial round, and also me, even me personally, I also got involved in helping some of that part as well from more from a technical standpoint. And also to to answer your question, Marcus, we currently have an advisory board of thirty. Um, schools across Australia. So they're currently reviewing our curriculum. So for example, we've done that initial round of uh, localization. So we would give it to them. So they would basically just review them or maybe try it out in some small sample classes and everything, give us feedback so we can actually further improve it from a, uh, you know, that perfecting that localization perspective. Cool. Um, I always wonder why are robots dominating education? Like we know they're going to take over the world at some point. Why are we helping them? Why are we now getting them in charge of our children's education? So, Kurt, since you are building one, <laughs> why are robots so popular in education? What is it about them that makes them such a versatile tool? Okay. Um, I think to answer your question, Peter, putting kids aside, even for adults, I'll take me as an example. You know, me, for someone that actually not from a, a technical background, um, so I think just to be honest, like I actually prior to this, I actually learned some HTML, CSS. That's probably as much as I know about coding. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just a Is that a programming language, Marcus? HTML? What do you yeah, think? Is that what you, what do you say? It's a schema? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say it is, yes. <laughs> Actually, HTML, especially CSS, is really, I think, oh. Turing complete, right? So you can say it's a program. You could actually say, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, sure. Sorry, go ahead. Sure. Okay, it's it's just count, I don't know any. <laughs> so, yeah. So come come back to that. I think, you know, while I was, um, uh, you know, going through the our own, uh, you know, pro- uh, product development journey and the curriculum and everything, I was actually even learning myself as well. So actually, I felt mm. throughout this um, this work, I actually learned a lot, me personally. And uh, I think uh, one of the key reasons I felt I actually got the motivation to learn was the ability to 
if I program the robot using, say, you know, our current flip code environment, which is a customized version of um, Blockly Duno, you know, I can actually see how that works on the robot straight away. And then I would assume if it didn't work as the way I want it to be, I can go back to my code and then I can make changes and see that work straight away again. I think to me that that's really kind of a, aligned with the modern entrepreneurial or this kind of a startup mentality. You're talking about, um, you know, like rapid prototyping and you basically create it, you have a uh, hypothesis and then you test really quickly. And if it doesn't work and you go back to your hypothesis again and try to change it and try to do that. that oh, I see. So if you do that in quick succession, so you don't have to wait like for a long time to test your hypothesis. If you can speed things up, then you're learning becomes faster, of course, and yeah. less, uh, what's, a, what's a startup word? Frictionless? No, <laughs> fr- frictionless. Uh-huh. Continuous integration. Con- yeah. Exactly, yeah. So from that perspective, I think that's one uh, big sort of learning students and even me can get out from that because once mm-hmm. our students in the 21st or 22nd century, when they go on to workforce, become, hopefully become job creators, I think if they're the entrepreneurs, they have to have that skills, The um, that, that sort of, uh, you know, that design thinking skills, that ability to do rapid prototyping. And on the other end is the ability just to see how your code actually, you know, able to create something or solve a problem in real life. To me, I think if you do work in HTML or in the, um, you know, design game, which is great as well, but if you see something like work in real life, lifting a, a box or doing something that actually can physically make changes or actually create value or do something, I think to me or to kids, to everyone, I think it's actually, you know, you have that greater sense of achievement and that greater sense of achievement would drive you to actually, or actually to motivate you to learn more um, from a, you know, coding or um, STEAM education perspective. Yeah. So the robot would give a tool that would engage children because of the quick interaction and feedback that the child will get from the robot. Like when we say feedback, we're talking about movement, lights, lighting up, uh, noise, sensors, and things like that that provide instant feedback. And it prompts the student to do the next thing and try something else and again, try again. Uh, basically, it never ends, right? Unlike a textbook where eventually it's going to end and uh, probably you'll be relieved that it did end. So from your experience with education robots and talking to a lot of teachers and you know yourself being a student as well, what are the attributes of a good educational robot? What should uh, a teacher be looking for when they're making a choice since there are so many here yeah, so I think uh, the number one sort of, I can't say rule, or you can say like a, it's a sort of a guideline or a principle will be they need to be flexible enough to really foster students' creativity. So mm. I really don't like robots that, you know, basically they already kind of tell you exactly this is this is it, you know, this is the way you to, to assemble this and there's no way you can change it. That flexibility that you can basically assemble your robot in different ways and also actually plug in different things. So in saying that, pre, uh, preferably if your robot from a both hardware and software perspective, they're open source, I think that's probably even better. Why is that important? 
Um, so the reason why it's important, probably when you're young in primary school, it might not be that important. But once you get to a certain age, say in, I don't know, like junior or senior high, and you really want to solve more complex problems and everything, um, you know, I think having that kind of an open source based hardware and software, you would have the capability to just do a lot more with your robot. So you can basically yeah. go on to, uh, to open market. You can source different, uh, take Arduino, for example. You could source different Arduino-compatible hardwares to basically skies your limit in terms of what you can do with your robot. And from a, a, a software perspective, if it's open source, most likely it's compatible with other mm-hmm. um, software as well. So you could actually build based on that to actually further yeah. extend your learnings. So, so it's like open source. Sorry, Marcus. I was going to say some cynics would say that Startups use open source hardware to get a foothold in the market, and then when it's not competing, <laughs> backpedal. I'm thinking about the Makey Makey, for example, which was built on the open source Arduino and uh, leveraged the open source side of things. And then when they finally had success in the market, they decided not to go open source and uh, no longer open source the hardware and software. We should probably explain what open source is. Yeah, what is, uh, what is open yeah. source? And I guess what is open source hardware? Because that's a. Uh, yeah, I guess between the two, relatively newer. Uh, yep. Would you like to detect that? Okay. Oh, we are interviewing you, so maybe you should answer the question. Yeah, answer. <laughs> Tell us what is open source. I actually got a feeling that I probably, I mean, I'll, I'll try the best I, the best I could explain it. But, but I felt probably either Peter, uh, Peter yourself or Marcus will be the better person to explain this. Uh, but I'll, but I'll try the best I could. Give you a best shot. Yeah. yeah. So it's my understanding of uh, open source hardware. It's sort of a Hardware, especially the microcontroller, the MCU, is um, so it's basically it can be compatible uh, with many other open source, whether it's the sensors or gadgets that you're able to actually make them work t- and together. So, um, mm-hmm. so take Arduino for example. It's a great example, like of uh, open source hardware. Basically, you know, for Arduino, they have different types of um, MCUs, and uh, on top of that, you can basically plug in all different type of um, compatible or Arduino compatible open source hardwares or sensors. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so by doing that, students can really foster their creativity. So when they been faced different kind of uh, problems and challenge, they can basically just thinking, you know, what can I do? What type of things I can put on to solve this problem? I think in my mind, you know, having yeah. that kind of a creativity or flexibility, it's really going to help students to, to further enhance their problem solving that type of skills. Yeah. yeah. I'd add to that that the term open source is used to indicate that a particular product or design is free for anyone to use. The Arduino that you mentioned is a very good example of hardware open source where the schematic of how to build the Arduino board, so the Arduino Uno board, uh, is available for anyone to download and then you can go ahead and create your own Arduino board. Now that people do that on a breadboard, for example, Mm -hmm. it's also the reason why you can purchase an Arduino genuine board for $30, $40 and a copy or a clone for $5, right, Marcus? It's because the people that make that clone are able to use the research and design that Mm -hmm. the Arduino company has put in and create their own clone. But I I think when it comes to education, the advantage of the open source option versus closed source is that the market is open to create 
a lot of compatible hardware that did then things like sensors, motors, and uh, hardware that you can plug into the original Arduino or component. I would say continuity is the big one. And continuity as well, yes. So you Safety buy right. a product, hmm. say from Lego, and then they decide to end of life it, <laughs> yeah. you're out of luck. Yeah, but if you buy from, say, an open source hardware, there's not uh, from an open source hardware company, there's nothing to stop you from going to another company and mm. you know getting the hardware from them. Or if worst comes to worst, you can always uh, go and make the hardware yourself. So, from a risk point of view as well, uh, if you invest a lot in a particular educational tool, having it open sourced means that there will always be an alternative. Yeah. So, Kurt, are you committing to open sourcing the Flip robot and keeping it open sourced? Yes, we are. I mean, the whole um, the whole sort of design philosophy came about because just to give you a bit of a background in terms of how we came about to this whole thing. So initially, from a hardware perspective, um, from a hardware perspective, so the the company Actura we actually merged with Flip Robot. So Flip Robot is a brand is actually originated in Taiwan. So in Taiwan, there was this small group of uh, university PhD students. They started in um, they study in education and technology. So they were really passionate about. So they started uh, started off like uh, doing maker stuff, and then really felt passionate about you know how we can use that maker style technology to change um, STEM education. So that's how they started the the flip robot mm-hmm. business. But then you know Actura, you know at the time we were doing this out of class solution, we felt that that could be a really good complement as the in-class um, solution to the overall business. So I think after the merger, we uh, we still felt the open source is definitely way to go because going forward, so, so the reason why we don't felt it's a threat, you know, like a, like what Marcus is saying about others could basically steal our, our client base or they can just easily jump onto others. We don't feel like that necessarily is going to be the case. So the reason being is once we build this ecosystem, so we're talking about that ongoing curriculum support. So it's basically we keep improving the curriculum and, every, and everything, that local support and the professional development and that whole ecosystem, if we're able to just continuously continuously improving it, I think even if others have like similar type of product from a hardware software perspective, but if they're not able to, uh, you know, constantly creating this kind of a best uh, in-class so- solution to support teachers, I think we would still always going to have that competitive edge. Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying, Kurt. And if you look at the history of open source, you can see that it's basically embedded in pretty much most successful products that we use every day, from the first web browser and web server to Linux, mm. powers the whole internet. So there is something to be said about the strength of open source, both in hardware and in software, that makes products like that you know live a very long, successful life and affect how other products end up being like the kind of um, they they set the terms mm-hmm. whether it's education or business or just the internet and open market it's something about open source yeah yeah and and just to quickly add, um, add on to that peter um you mm. know i think to us like what we felt is the reason why we don't really sort of worry too much whether it's open source or not because our focus actually is not on the robot it's on education so, like, we actually put more effort into designing the curriculum on, on educational side of things, comparing to a lot of other vendors. So, essentially, like, what I'm trying to say here is, 
if you focus on education, today we could use this type of flip robot to deliver that. And tomorrow, if we have the next level of robot or you know some other form of robots or even something entirely different, it could still deliver that as well. Mm-hmm. So the essence is actually not just on the hardware or software. The essence is on the education outcome. How are you going to deliver that? So that that's always been the top of our our mind to yeah. up until now. Yeah. So moving off the altruistic side of things, what's your revenue model? So so the way we make money is definitely through the hardwares. So we don't really uh, charge our clients anything on the software, uh, the curriculum side of things. But for professional development, uh, we also have our own kind of a, a NISA certified PD program at the moment. But for, yep. for the current schools that are actually uh, adopting our solutions, we basically just sort of a just doing it for free for them for now. But on an ongoing yep. basis, we might look into, um, you know, charging for some of those PD um, services. Okay. Right. How are you planning to scale? So scaling-wise, I mean, in Australia, I think we are in a fairly good place because we already have this large network of 200-plus uh, schools we're trying to approach. But at the same time, we are definitely trying to work with our channel partners, whether it's through uh, third-party training organizations uh, or even yourself, Marcus, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're trying to approach various channels, really helping us to get into the school system. So our main approach at the moment is definitely we try to, to work with schools on a B2B type of business model. Uh, we don't want to put too much focus on the retail side of things. And also globally, the product already been tested fairly successfully in Taiwan. So in Taiwan, we also have some uh, local operations team and sales team down there. So they've been really helping us to branch out in that area really well. And also we recently set up our New Zealand operations there. So I think down down there and it's also going to help us to, to branch. And also because we have two services, basically the uh, space school and also the robot side of things. So either one of them pick up, it's definitely going to help our other business to grow as well. Okay. Awesome. So you guys are relatively small startup. Yes. Do you have a Goliath with a target on its back that you want to hunt down and kill? So I'm thinking about <laughs> zero sum game. No, no. I think it's always good for a small startup to have, I want a nice word for enemy, but an enemy. Like if you think about Basecamp back in the day, the project management software, their, their big enemy was Microsoft and Microsoft Project. Yep. And there's many instances of small startups having okay. like um, a rival, actually. The, the, <laughs> rival the that thing that you want to be the you. anti thing. Do you want to be the anti Lego? Do you want to be the anti, I don't know, um, be bold? <laughs> <laughs> I, me personally, I think the market is big enough to uh, accommodate all of us in the moment. But if you really want to have to put a particular uh, a competitor, you know, as our sort of, a, you know, like that type of a, a comparison, I would say maybe Mbot or MakeBlock, but mm-hmm. uh, but I mean MakeBlock they actually run very different kind of a business model from us. So from a business model or from a uh, this kind of a strategy point of view, I think we run very differently. So that's why I actually don't really view them as, as our threat because I think they are relatively more maker focused. We are hundred percent education, school education focused. So yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the market is not just a big place, but it's also a good place to try a lot of alternatives. And there's always going to be a bunch of people that like you versus the others, uh, which is what happened with Basecamp, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, Basecamp does have <laughs> built a, a good a built good product, product built less, the but it's definitely not Microsoft. So it's, it's a micro niche. They're doing quite well in that micro niche. Yes. No, I use them. 
And uh, yeah, I actually really lower, yeah. yeah. From my experience uh, last week at Edutech, I saw a lot of humanoid robots. Yeah. Uh, little little tiny robots about 20 centimeters high. One of them was actually advertised as a study assistant. And study assistant, like, seriously, what? how can it assist you in studying? Like, yeah, stick Google assistant. Your homework? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, but humanoid robots seem to be the next thing, perhaps, or could be a fad, or like a person, not sure. Just to extend on um, Peter's point about the humanoid robot so our current robot selection like you know it's basically for the first year which is kind of like year seven to eight level uh we have the kind of a starter kit and four different type of extensions or variations and you know they 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 could come up with but for the second year ones that we we're currently already kind of in the prototyping stage which the production is going to be coming out very very shortly so those ones will have also our version of the humanoid robot Mm. but probably not as sophisticated as the ones you see in the edutech but i think from a learning perspective um, is definitely going to have, because this is, this is where we come from. When we design our robot, it's actually purely from a learning perspective. So yeah, what kind yeah. of a, from a robotic learning perspective do you need? So we design fit for purpose and to keep the price at a, a sort of affordable level. So those are coming up very, very shortly. So once they do, I'll definitely share with you guys as well. Just in closing, I've, I've got uh, on this segment, I'd like to say that I don't trust the robot if I can't see the servos and the motors inside. <laughs> and a lot of the robots that I saw at Digitech were all like, Covered. That's a retail robot. Yeah, they're more like toys. Uh, all the plastics, uh, you know, plastic shell covering all the internal mm-hmm. components. And that there's definitely, in my opinion, when it comes to education, so no, no. You want the internals to be exposed. I was at a Sphero briefing and it was all on DNT, but meh. Um, they said a big change in their business all came when they made the shell of the Sphero. Mm. Instead of having it internally painted white, mm. they made it clear so you could see oh. the components on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Just like an iMac. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I totally agree with that. Yeah. For our one, I think it's uh, it's definitely transparent because there's nothing covered um, on yeah. top of it. And and in fact, you could assemble that in different ways as well. So once I have the prototype, I'll probably get a chance to show you guys and you will know sure. exactly what I mean. <laughs> so I was going to ask as a... I guess, edutech person in the edutech space. Look at us taking ownership of the edutech word again. Is it? Trademark? (laughs) When we say edutech, we we mean it's just short for educational technology, not not the expo, right? Yeah, kind of like make education. We don't want to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to ask, was the conference edutech or the expo edutech Mm. worth it for you? And would you do it again, given the many tens of thousands of dollars a decent booth must cost oh, yeah. to man? And uh... well, I mean, in my case, um, Mark, I don't know if you were. We we actually didn't have a stand, so it was definitely oh. worth for us. So we didn't have to spend a cent. So we were actually uh, so so it's so basically like what we did was because um, I think we came late, so we actually didn't get a chance to have a stand this year. So, so what we did was um, I basically took our prototype and took a lot of our assembled products. So we went there. I think we spoke with, like in your case, we spoke with Maddie. Uh, we spoke with a lot of uh, different uh, channel partners and, uh, you know, and other organizations and people attending as well. Um, I think... So you were just crushing into the expo. <laughs> I love this gorilla. I guess you can say that. Gorilla, <laughs> it's a startup methodology. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a very good chance. I think we will be uh, having a stand next year, but uh, <laughs> but this year, I think I actually worked out pretty well. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I like your thinking. You're a man of my own heart. <laughs> so rapid fire. I think it's time to rapid do it. fire. Market eagle fish. So who's been the most influential in shaping the way you sell? No, no, you, well, it's just, you teach, teach Marcus. But, it's just teaching. Yeah, so. but he's not a. <laughs> so I was going to say so. <laughs> okay, you, you adopt on the fly. Yes. Okay, um, let's go. I think probably like either sell or teach might not be the best sort of description. I think probably the, the most influential person in my life in terms of, you know, like to sort of get to where I am right now, uh, I think it's my mom. So my mm-hmm. mom, she's, she, she was actually a school headmaster as well. So she's a school headmaster back in China. Um, she's always been very, um, uh, have this like a f- uh, f- like forward vision towards education. So she taught me a lot in terms of you should really looking forward, um, not just sort of stay where you are. Yeah. So that, that's why even when I was at the bank or doing different things, I was thinking, you know, like what's going to happen next and, you know, wh- you know, where I should be, like what I should be doing to prepare for me in the next five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably been very, very influential. To me. How did you react when you announced that you want to leave and go overseas? Um, she she actually reacted surprisingly well. So um, mm. my father was the one actually, uh, he's saying, oh, you know, he wasn't so sure. And, and you know, he's such a long, yeah. long way away. But mom, she was... It's dangerous so in New Zealand as well. It's really rough. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding about that. It's a joke. <laughs> okay, okay. Things get shaky. It's awesome. I love New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. She she was fine. Yeah, she she's she's a great mom. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I can't say the same about Australia. Australia is rough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm joking about that too. I love it here. Um. Okay. Next one. Um. Kurt. So, is there an application that helps you organize yourself every day that you can't live without? Um, an application. I mean, I use... It could be pen and paper. Or a service. Could be Apple could be Pay, Android Pay. It could be something like an Evernote. <laughs> so I actually use my Outlook a lot. So I actually use my Outlook mm-hmm. to organize my both my work and personal stuff as well. So <laughs> I put, a, you yeah. know, calendars everywhere. Uh, I put like, you know, like in, in my, um, you know, task, you know, uh, basically work items if I um, haven't done or something, I flag it as my task. So Outlook is my... Mm-hmm basically for both my I probably sh- shouldn't be using that that much for my personal stuff but I just felt like you know instead of having a different tool for your personal it's uh, just a lot easier that way you know just to yeah flag everything yeah so iPhone or Android <laughs> for me I have to say um, unfortunately I'm a big iPhone fan but I mean I, my not necessarily a fan but I just I, I'm, I'm just lazy you know so for me I just always been using iPhone and uh I guess I too. But that's not, that's not laser. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say that. All right. Uh, Marcus, take the next one. I just did. Oh, you did? have yes. to do it again. Okay. My, uh, it's my turn. Uh, Kurt, what's your programming language of choice? Oh, wow. <laughs> that should be easy because I don't know many anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> so at the moment. You've got one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at the moment, I guess you can say HTML. Um, you know, I've been doing a fair bit of HTML here and there. Uh, I've got to say, sorry, Kurt, uh, we are still undecided of whether they use it from the I don't think it counts. <laughs> I, I double checked. It's if you combine it with the CSS, it's if. Turing complete, but separately <laughs> they are not. Yes, it's a markup language. It's not a programming language. Okay. Well, 
But you do, you are learning block lead, right? Or block yeah, based so lead. All right. You can start with that and then you can move on to. So you're, you're doing Aji Scratch, I would imagine. And yeah, so right like now I'm doing, uh, uh, so I've already done quite, quite a fair bit of a Blockly stuff and I'm currently uh, learning Arduino IDE at the moment. So, uh, yeah, so I've been doing a fair bit of IDE activities, which has been really fun. Um, yeah. There's a really good course on this. Yeah, I already signed up Peter's one. Yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, what was it? Um, <laughs> uh, I was made by this company in... Uh, in Barara, <laughs> uh, something about Arduino foot stepping forward. No, TX explorations, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's talking about Arduino step by step. Arduino oh, yeah. step by step. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, so that's the exact one I've been doing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the exact one I've been doing. I like talking it's, about it. It's okay, Kurt. I know a guy who can get you a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, I want to ask one more rapid fire question. Maybe, Marcus, you can take it. So, oh, too many good questions, but I'm getting them highlighted for me. So, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? Any do's, don'ts, or lookouts? Any specific robots they should buy or not buy? <laughs> I, I think I would, like, I probably don't want to make any cheap, um, cheap shots here. Uh, but I think in terms of the overall, um, just after this whole year and a bit, I've been working this company. Um, what I felt is about this whole education with this STEAM education field. Currently, it's been a, a very, you know, like uptrend market at the moment. There's a lot of players and probably a lot of schools and parents, or sorry, uh, schools and teachers, they're all like a bit confused in terms of what to take on or not. But to me, I think I'm, I'm actually very clear. So I'm thinking we are still improving, but ultimately what we want to do is, because the current market, the gap is basically, apart from the hardware and software, you know, it has to be easy to use and affordable. So definitely affordability, that's one key key component in, just in terms of this overall STEM education industry. And the second one is that um, curriculum support. And the third is that professional development support as well. To me, those three components, if any, you know, whether you can say vendors or uh, solution providers can do them well together, I think that's definitely would, uh, you know, give a lot of value to the schools and school can easily implement those into their um, STEM courses or programs. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank well, you. I've got to say that I was thinking hard of whether I should invite you to uh, the podcast. And I say that because, (laughs) (laughs) well, look, um, I've got to be upfront and very honest about this and speak out my mind. And the reason is that uh, if you look at our lineup of guests so far, pretty much all of them are teachers or researchers, um, freelancers perhaps. So we haven't had somebody from a company who actually is building educational technology or products that we use and teachers use. My struggle was whether it would it would result in an episode that sounds like an informational. And I decided that we should have you on, definitely, because you are working on a technology or in an area that affects us as educators. And just like we have a professor on that is telling us about the latest research and the latest findings. We want to hear directly from the people that build these technologies that we use and teach our children. So for that reason, I decided that, yes, having Kurt on is something that we must do, and we did, and there's going to be more. 
I think we should have more business people. Yes. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah. they speak to more teachers and educators than you and I, and they get knowledge. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, about what their needs and wants are. Yeah. And we get to uh, have this knowledge in a very distilled fashion and repackage it and send it out as a podcast. Exactly. Why would you not have them? Yeah. And it's not just the fact that, you know, Kurt and Actira are building educational hardware and products in general, but it's the business behind it. Like we talked about business models. That's not something that we talk about with educators normally, right? How economy works and how products are being built, uh, all that is very important for the next generation and Mm -hmm. the generations after that. So we do live in an open market. Mm -hmm. This is something that we need to have ahead of us as educators oh, yeah, to engage with. Kurt, just before we go, how can people get in touch with you, uh, if you want them, of course, to get in touch with you? Um, yeah, so I think probably can either drop me an email to my uh, kurt.young at actura.com.au. That's my work email. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, um, you can look me up on LinkedIn, um, just Kurt Young. I think I, I have like probably nearly 2,000 connections on LinkedIn and especially a lot of the education-related uh, networks. So I think there's a very good chance that, you know, I could be pretty high, like just sort of on the top search results. So, um, yeah, just look me up and, um, you know, I, I'm on LinkedIn every day. So, you know, if you send me an invite, I'm just, I'll reply straight away. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. So thank you for making the time to talk to us about the amazing work that you do and your life story. <laughs> Essentially, there's a lot more, obviously, yeah. uh, behind you know, the, the person. And um, we wish you a lot of success with the products. And uh, I'm going to definitely have a look at your space program because I think uh, both my kids would yep. be very excited to go to Alabama at some point. <laughs> wow, definitely. Soon. I would do it for them, right? For them. I'll do anything for them. Got you. Use the frequent flyer points right? <laughs> so thank you again. That's my pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, talk Marcus. Soon. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, mate. Bye. That's all for this episode. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Kurt are available on our website, techexplorations.com forward slash p forward slash stemiverse each episode comes with its own page on the tech explorations website and a gold mine of information in the notes this stemiverse podcast episode was produced by tech explorations do you have any questions or suggestions would you like to nominate a friend or colleague to be our guest please email us at pa at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, STEMiverse. That's S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.